Thank you. Thank you for coming on today's podcast. Here we go. Let's go ahead and ask God for his presence. We're going to be reading a couple of stories from Jesus Calling, Answers to Praise, and, uh, and some songs, and probably a couple of miracle books. How about that? Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being our daddy. Thank you for covering us with your presence and your goodness, Lord. Lord, thank you, Lord, that we can keep on trying and trying to be the best we could. We say, Uncle, we surrender ourselves to you. Lord, we let go of everything, and we ask you to have your ways in our thought and our thinking and the words we're about to read. Show yourself strong and mighty in these words that reach our heart. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. God couldn't be anywhere, so he provided moms with cognitive, enthusiastic common sense. Amen. May 9th. I mean, excuse me, May 8th. Do not long for the absence of problems in your life. That is an unrealistic goal, since in this world you will have trouble. You have an eternity of problem-free living reserved for you in heaven. Rejoice in that inheritance which no one can take away from you, but do not seek your heaven on earth. Begin each day anticipating problems, Uh asking me to equip you for whatever difficulties you will encounter. The best equipment is my living presence, my hand that never lets go of yours. Discuss everything with me. Take a lighthearted view of trouble, seeing it as a challenge that you and I together can handle. Remember that I am on your side and I have overcome the world. Jesus calling, of course. How about uh, May 9th? Don't be so hard on yourself. I can bring good even out of your mistakes. Your finite mind tends to look backward, longing to undo decisions you have come to regret. That is a waste of time and energy, leading only to frustration. Instead of floundering in the past, release your mistakes to me. Look to me in trust, anticipate that my infinite creativity can weave both good choices and bad into a lovely design. Because you are human, you will continue to make mistakes. Thinking that you should live an error-free life is a symptomatic of pride. Your failures can be a source of blessing, humbling you and giving you empathy for other people in their weaknesses. Best of all, failure headlights your dependency on me. I am able to bring beauty out of the morass of your mistakes. Trust me and watch to see what I will do. Let's go and read May 10th. Do not resist or run from the difficulties in your life. These problems are not random mistakes. They are hand-tailored blessings designed for your benefit and growth. 
Embrace all the circumstances that I allow in your life. Trust in me to bring good out of them. View problems as opportunities to rely more fully on me. When you start to feel stressed, let those feelings alert you to for your need for me. Thus your needs become doorways to deep dependence on me and increasing intimacy between us. Although self-sufficient is the claim in the world, reliance on me produces abundant living in my kingdom. Thank me for the difficulties in your life since they provide protection from the idolatry of self-reliance. Amen. Idolatry of self-reliance. Let's go ahead and go back to uh, May 1st. Let's read from there. And the scripture is uh, Psalm 29.2. Ascribe, write down to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. That's a big order, folks. We are to praise and sing songs to the greatness of our Lord. And the noise we make is the conduit of our blessing, His presence, His joy, His love. May 1st, you are the path of my choosing. There is no randomness about your life. Here and now, compromise the coordinates of your daily life. Most people let their moments slip through their fingers, half-lived. They avoid the present by worrying about the future or longing for a better time and place. They forget that they are creatures who are subject to the limitations of time and space. They forget their Creator who walks with them only in the present. Every moment is alive with my glorious presence to those whose hearts are intimately connected with mine. As you give yourself more and more to a life of constant communion with me, you will find that you simply have no time for worry. Thus you are free to let my spirit direct your steps, enabling you to walk along the path of peace. May 2nd. Living in dependence on me is the way to enjoy abundant life. You are learning to appreciate tough times because they amplify your awareness of my presence. Tasks that you used to dread are becoming rich opportunities to enjoy my closeness. When you feel tired, you remember that I am your strength. You take pleasure in learning on me. I am pleased by your tendency to turn to me more and more frequently, especially when you are alone. When you are with other people, you often lose sight of my presence. Your fear of displeasing people puts you in bondage to them, and they become your primary focus. When you realize this has happened, whisper my name. This tiny act of trust brings me to the forefront of your consciousness, where I belong. As you back in the blessings of my nearness my life can flow through you to others this is abundant life do not miss it you cannot serve two masters oh this is may 3rd if i am truly your master you will desire to please me above all others 
If pleasing people is your goal, you will be enslaved to them. People can be harsh taskmasters when you give them this power over you. If I am the master of your life, I will also be your first love. Your serving me is rooted and grounded in my vast unconditional love for you. The lower you bow down before me, the higher I lift you up into an intimate relationship with me. The joy of living in my presence outshines all other pleasures. I want you to reflect my joyous light by living in increasing intimacy with me. May 4th. Meet me in morning stillness. While the earth is fresh with the dew of my presence, worship me in the beauty of holiness. Sing love songs to my holy name. As you give yourself to me, my spirit swells within you till you are flooded with the divine presence. This is May 4th. Meet me in the morning stillness while the earth is fresh with the dew of my presence. Worship me in the beauty of holiness. Since love songs to my holy name, sing those songs. As you give yourself to me, my spirit swells within you and fills you and floods you with divine presence. The world's ways of pursuing riches is grasping and hoarding. You attain my riches by letting go and giving. The more you give yourself to me and my ways, the more I fill you with inexpressible heavenly joy. Cinco de Mayo. Come to me for all that you need. Come into my presence with thanksgiving, for thankfulness opens the door to my treasures. When you are thankful, you affirm the central truth that I am good. I am light in whom there is no darkness at all. The assurance that I am entirely good meets your basic need for security. Your life is not subject to the whims of a sin-stained deity. Relax in the knowledge that the one who controls your life is totally trustworthy. Come to me with confident expectation. There is nothing you need that I cannot provide. May 6. Do not search for security in the world you inhabit. You tend to make mental checklists of things you need to do in order to gain control of your life. If only you could check everything off your list, you could relax and be at peace. But the more you work to accomplish the goal, the more things crop up on your list. The harder you try, the more frustrated you become. There is a better way to feel security in this life. Instead of scrutinizing your checklist, focus your attention on my presence with you. This continual contact with me will keep you in my presence. Moreover, I will help you sort out what is important and what is not, what needs to be done now and what does not. Fix your eyes not on what I see is seen, your circumstances, but on what is unseen, my presence. If you learn to trust me, May 7th, really trust me with your whole being, then nothing can separate you from my peace. 
Everything you endure can be part put to good use by allowing it to train you in trusting me. This is how you foil the works of evil, growing in grace through the very adversity that was meant to harm you. Joseph was the prince example, prime example of the divine reversal declaring it to his brothers. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Do not fear what this day or any day may bring your way. Concentrate on trusting me and on doing what needs to be done. Relax in my sovereignty, remembering that I go before you as well with you in each day. Fear no evil, for I can bring good out of every situation you will encounter. The Word of the Lord, a reading from Jesus Calling, Sarah Young. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you, lift up His comes and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Reading from Answers to Praise, page 128, Overweight Separated. A lady writes in, she says, My husband left our home and does not plan to return, but my prayers are for his salvation. Rather than for my own comfort, I can let God do the rest. I am overcoming the eating habits that I wrote to you about. God is so marvelous, he has time for the dumbest prayers. I praise him all the time now. I'm thankful he didn't make it easy for me like I wanted him to. I can't thank you enough for opening a new door to God. I praise him for leading me to your books. As you recall, the lady had written in that her husband had left and she started thanking God that he had left because of her overweight and other th- other issues, bills and so forth. And the day she started praising him, he came back. And now she, uh, she continues to praise God on every mouthful, puts a rubber band around on her hand or some kind of reminder, lets her know, you know, when praising God brings the wisdom and with wisdom brings power and knowledge, power to do the right thing by acknowledging if, you're, if I'm stuffing myself with, uh, with chocolate, and I thank God, I thank God, and I keep thanking God, I'm going to eventually win the battle, okay? He's going to raise me to, to spiritual power. I'm going to connect to spiritual power to undo a daily uh, human natural problem that is not right. God's ways is asking uh, power to do the thing right. When you're, especially when you're out of control, you're drinking, you're brawling, you're making noise and stuff. Just thanks. Start. Hey, God is available like the air in the sunshine. The only problem is we're not taking advantage of it. You know, we're we're doing it on our own strength. And then the the Bible says, "Curse is the man who considers the his own strength." who relies on his own self or someone else to fulfill your happiness. 
Now, right here is the uh, Marilyn Carruthers. He comments on this situation. He says, make it easier for me. It's often the cry of the person under Satan's attack. Our cry should be, make me aware that you supply me with exactly what I need. Make me aware that you supply me with exactly what I need. That should be our prayer. This letter was from the lady who was formerly so depressed over her husband leaving and her inability to control her weight that she was ready to commit suicide. I sent her a copy of Power and Praise and encouraged her to be thankful for her problems. And the Proverbs for today is, A merry heart does good like medicine. Beautiful, beautiful readings. Amen? And my promise to you, I'm going to read you a psalm, as I promised. And we're going to go to Psalm 9, because today is the 9th. And let's enjoy God's Word, which is beautiful, beautiful, wonderful words of life. Psalm 9, a prayer and thanksgiving for the Lord's righteous judgments. And that's what we're doing when we're praising God and giving Him thanks for exactly, see, with Marilyn Carotter, the author of the book Answers to Praise, what he's saying is that there is an answer in our problem, and if we praise them, we'll derive the answer from our problem. And then I like it, because we've successfully given it over to him, to his hands, thanking him for it. And if it keeps bugging him, we keep thanking him for it. That's leaving it in his hands. And then it becomes wisdom to us. And with God, we'll fix it. It'll never be a problem again. Incredible promise, huh? Moving right along. I hope I, I, hope I confuse you. I thank God I confused you. <laughs> I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their names forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever. And you have destroyed cities, even their memory has perished. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. And he shall administer judgment for all the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwell in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell all of your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will... Rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made. In the net which they have hid, their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. 
The wicked is a snare in the works of his own hands. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Salah. Greetings. Welcome to this reading. Uh, let's go ahead and pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Stay. All right, I'll be reading uh, from Small Miracles by Jida Halberstam and Judith Leventhal. Extraordinary coincidence from everyday life. Small Miracles. Get your copy, please. Page 45. Smoke poured out from under the front hood of the black stretch limousine as it sped down the highway. Louise, the limousine chauffeur, Lois, uh, chauffeur pulled up to the side of the road to flag down assistance. Concern and worry were written on his face. He stood in the cold rain and frantically waved a flashlight in the air, hoping to draw people to his plight. It was futile. Most drivers slowed down to catch a glimpse of the stalled limousine, but then blightedly continued on their way. Robert Wise was the exception. He noted the chauffeur's predicament and felt compelled to come to his aid. He drove up to the shoulder of the road, peered out his window, and asked how he could help. Would you please call my boss and tell him my situation, asked the chauffeur. And then, could you please let me know what he says? No problem, came the cheerful reply. Lois then provided Robert with the name of his boss, Mr. Cavendish, and a phone number. Robert got back on the highway, drove to the nearest service station, and made the call. A short time later, Robert returned. He relayed a message from Mr. Cavendish and then turned on his engine, ready to continue on his way home. Wait, Lois called out to him. How can I thank you? Oh, please, it was nothing, replied Robert. No, you must tell me how I can thank you, the chauffeur insisted. It was really nothing, came the reply, but if you care to, you can send a dozen roses to my wife for her birthday, which is next week. Robert gave Lewis his address, and the two men departed. The following day, the chauffeur told his boss what had happened on the road. He described how difficult it had been to get assistance and how glad he had been when a kind stranger finally stopped to help. 
and all the man asked for were for flowers for his wife, concluded the chauffeur. Mr. Cavendish listened and was touched by Robert's modest request. He took the address and said, Leave the rest to me. Within the next few weeks, Mr. Cavendish arranged for flowers to be sent to the wife's home. But that was not all. For years, the couple had been struggling financially and were threatened with foreclosure. They were now blessed with a generosity of spirit. In addition to the road dozen red roses, Mr. Camden graciously paid off the mortgage on their house. Woohoo! True story. I heard another story about my friend Les told me that his uncle had been in New York and got into prison. And in prison, he met Jesus, and it changed his life completely. And now he was out putting about 300,000 miles in a car in two years. If you can fathom that, that's almost unbelievable. I remember putting 60,000 miles in, in one car in one year. You know, you can easily put 100,000 in a car if, you, if that's your full-time employment in a year, I guess. Or even more than that, but that, that guy would have to ride 150,000 miles a year, so that's possible. Uh, I did about 110, 105 with, well, maybe not that much. I must, I must be mistaken. Let's see. Yeah, yeah, I did. 110,000. I put 50,000 on my semi truck and about another 60,000 on my car for one year. So it wouldn't be hard for a person full time. Anyway, the point I'm making to there was a business guy that would buy the jailbird a new car every two years, provided the transportation for him. Wouldn't that be nice for us? <laughs> Amen. Okay, moving right along. Let me see if we got another incredible story like that. These are true miracle-working stories. This one is called At Sullivan County Community College. The students began filling in for a summer program. Hey, look who's there, one girl said, pointing to a tall young man with curly dark hair. It's Eddie. That's odd, her friend responded. I thought Eddie had transferred to Nazua Community College on Long Island. Guess I was wrong. The two young women waved at the person they thought was Eddie. It was actually someone named Robert Chiffron, and this was his first day at a new college. Moments later, a fellow running to class spotted Robert from the corner of his eyes. Hey, buddy, he called out to Robert. Glad to see you. Catch you later. And he rushed by. Robert was taken aback. He knew he had never seen this person before, and yet he had been greeted as if the two were in, on intimate terms. Just as Robert was molding this over in his mind, an attractive young woman gave him a kiss that obviously meant more than hello. Robert was perplexed. He had never been that had that kind of reception and such an outpouring of warmth. He was bewildered, and he hoped he wasn't dreaming. Robert walked into his class, 
and took a seat and settled in. No sooner had he taken a notebook out of his briefcase when a total stranger walked up to him demanding an apology. But for what? asked Robert, dumbfounded. I don't even know you. What do you mean you don't know me? said the stranger. What a sense of humor, he chuckled. Robert was startled and said, Hey, I'm not who you think I am. The stranger threw Robert a quizzical look, then muttered something under his breath and walked off. These encounters continued to happen throughout the day as Robert walked around on campus. Meanwhile, a student named Michael Dominic had heard that his best friend lookalike had been seen on a campus. Michael searched all over and then gasped when he finally spotted Robert in the distance. Indeed, there was an uncanny resemblance of, to Eddie Gallon, his close buddy. Michael walked up to Robert and exclaimed, Why, you're a carbon copy of my best friend. Then he pulled out a photo from his wallet. Here, look at this, he said, pointing to a picture of Eddie. Tell me what you think. Now, it was Robert's turn to stand in awe as he looked at what appeared to be a picture of himself. He was astounded, just as everyone else who had made the mistake that day. When is your birthday? inquired Michael. July 12, 1961, replied Robert. Oh my gosh, said Michael, that's the same as Eddie's birthday. Michael was tentative about inquiring further, but he did so despite himself. I know Eddie was adopted. Were you adopted? Yes, said Robert incredulously at the moment as the moment unfolded. A few days later, Michael called Eddie at his home in New Hyde Park, Long Island, put him in touch with his lookalike. Over the phone, they exchanged vital statistics and without any hesitation agreed to meet in person. I'll drive you out there, offered Michael, who knew the way to Eddie's house and was eager to see the outcoming of this exchange. The following day, the two met and were stunned to discover that they were virtually doubles. Fascinated and mystified by the striking resemblance, they had an exciting conversation and discovered a number of amazing similarities. They talked alike and had identical birthmarks. They both smoked too many Marlboros and even held their cigarettes the same way. They had the same IQ of 148, they favored Italian food, and had the same taste in music and sports. Both had a preference for dating older women. Isn't this bizarre, said Robert. Yes, you're my clone, said Eddie. Both Robert and Eddie had known that they had been adopted, but had been unaware that they had had any siblings. Calls were made to their respective parents, and the records of Long Island Jewish Hospital were pulled that which they had sensed from the moment they had made contact was not confirmed eddie and robert were twins separated at birth the story hit the news and the picture of the reunited brothers appeared on the front page of the newspaper everywhere the story made for good conversation another interesting bit of news quickly absorbed rapidly forgotten Forgotten by everyone, that is, except for one young man named David Kilman, a freshman at New York's Queen College. He called the Gallagher household and, without skirting the issue, got right to the point. You're not going to believe this, he said to Eddie, but my name is David Kilman, and I'm looking in the mirror at, at, in, at the picture in the paper. 
I believe I'm the third brother. Eddie's jaws dropped open and he sat for 10 minutes in total awe. I can't believe this. We're the only words that he was able to, he was able to articulate. When David arrived at the Gallon residence in Long Island, Eddie opened the door and looked at him, then closed the door and then opened it again and looked and then closed it again. When he finally let David in the door, they both exclaimed, Holy cow, in unison, and stared at each other in stunned amazement. I always knew I was adopted, but I had no idea that I had any siblings, said David. Neither did I, said Eddie. Neither did I. They talked, they laughed, and they cried. The records at Manhattan's Louise Wise Adoption Agency made it all credible. Robert, David, and Eddie were triplets born in that order within 27 minutes of each other. The family got together in celebration. Reporters were there to cover the story. Looking around at the sea of new faces, what can you tell us about your new family? Asked an interview. Eddie spoke up. It's like I've known them all my life, he said. I think the whole thing is beautiful. Pictures were taken as David, Eddie, and Robert slung their arms around one another, each flashing a broad grin. The triplets, separate at birth, were reunited. They were on to it. They went on to establish the well-known Triplets Romanian Steakhouse, located in Manhattan, which still exists today. This is a comment. Bloodlines may run so deep as to pierce through all barriers that threaten to stand in their way. Beautiful, wonderful story. All right. Let me see if I can find me a small story. Here's one. In the 1930s, Rabbi Samuel Shapira, the distinguished chief rabbi of the Polish village of Prochnik, was in the habit of taking long, invigorating walks into the countryside. The rabbi, who was known for his warm, loving, compassionate ways, always made a point of greeting everyone whose path he crossed, Jews and non-Jews alike, and adhering to a Talmudic dictum, always tried to greet them first. One of the people he regularly greeted in his daily walks was a peasant by the name of Herr Mueller, whose farm laid on the outskirts of the town. Every morning, Rabbi Shapira would pass the farmer as he diligently worked in his fields. The rabbi would nod his head and expansive boom in a hearty voice. Good morning, Herr Mueller. When the rabbi had first embarked on his morning constitution and had begun greeting Er Mueller, the farmer had turned away in stony silence. Relations between Jews and Gentiles in this village were not particularly good, and friendships were rare. But Rabbi Shapiro was not deterred or discouraged. Day after day, he would greet the silent Herr Mueller with a hearty hello until finally, convinced of the rabbi's sincerity, the farmer began began returning the greeting with a tip of his hat and a hint of a smile. This routine went on for many years. Every morning, Rabbi Shapira would call out, Good morning, Herr Mueller. And every morning, Herr Mueller would tip his hat and yell back, Good morning, Herr Rabner. This, this scenario stopped 
when the Nazis came. Rabbi Shapiro and his family, together with all the other Jewish residents of the village, were shipped to a concentration camp. Rabbi Shapiro was transferred from one concentration camp to the next until he reached his final destination, Point Auschwitz. As he disembarked from the train, he was ordered to join the line where the selection was taking place. Standing in the back of the line, he saw from a distance the camp commandant's baton swing left, swing right. He knew that left signified certain death, but right bought time and possible survival. His heart palpitating, he drew closer to the commandment as the line surged forward. Soon it will be his turn. What will be the decree, left or right? He was one person away from the man in charge of the selection, the man whose arbitrary decision would send him into flameless, into the flames. What kind of man was this commandment, a man who could so easily send thousands of people a day to their death? Despite his own fear, he looked curiously, almost boldly, into the face of the commandment as his turn was called. At that moment, the man turned to glance at him, and their eyes locked. Rabbi Shapir approached the commandment and said quietly, Good morning, Herr Mueller. Herr Mueller's eyes, cold and unfathomable, twitched for a fraction of a second. Good morning, Herr Rabnar, he answered, also very quietly. And then he swung his baton forward. Wretch, he shouted with a barely perceptible nod, right to life. Comments. Who would have thought a simple hello could save a life? Yet sometimes the smallest of actions, or at least actions that were perceived to be small, can result in the greatest and the gravest of consequences. The rabbi showed the seeds of his redemption for years by engaging in polite pleasantries with a person whom others might have deemed an inconsequential peasant. Could he ever have envisioned that one day this man would quite literally hold his faith in his hands? Okay. Greetings, family. Welcome to today's podcast early this morning. Let us go ahead and begin it with uh, calling on God to help us today. And call those things that are not a soul. Let's start with the Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for coming to today's podcast. We'll be reading a little portion of 24-hour book for today, May the 9th. While we're at it, and I'm looking for it, let's go ahead and say the serenity prayer, please. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. A.A. Thought for the Day We alcoholics used so little self-control when we were drinking. We were so absolutely selfish that it does us good to give up something once in a while. 
Using self-discipline and denying ourselves a few things is good for us. At first, giving up liquor is a big enough job for all of us, even with God's help. But later on, we can practice self-discipline in other ways to keep a firm grip on our minds so that we don't start any wishful thinking. If we daydream too much, we may be in danger of slipping. Am I practicing enough self-discipline? Meditation for the day. In material things, you must rely on your own wisdom and that of others. In spiritual things, you cannot rely so much on your own wisdom as on God's guidance. In dealing with personalities, it is a mistake to step out too much on your own. You must try to be guided by God in all human relationships. You cannot accomplish much of value in dealing with people until God knows you are ready. You alone do not have the power or wisdom to put things right between people. You must rely on God to help you in these vital matters. Prayer for the day. I pray that I may rely on God in dealing with people's problems. I pray that I may try to follow His guidance in all personal relationships. Amen. And with that, yes indeed, one of the ways I, Fernando, do is to, is like I, you know it already, I thank God for the uh, situation and wait on Him. Instead of engaging, I wait upon God and most of the time is, uh, it goes good. Amen. So I say, thank you, God. And when I mess up and put my boot in my mouth, then I say, thank you, God. I, I messed up and we start all over again. There's always the net of love, the net of forgiveness, the net that we're human. Don't take ourselves too seriously. This too shall pass. Amen. I have a, <clears throat> a quick story here from a a letter written in 1961 to the grapevine, and it's, it says, I knocked on the wrong door. In October 1958, <clears throat> some of us, <clears throat> excuse me, helped start a group at the VA hospital in our city <clears throat> and have worked actively at it since. We have received a lot of cooperation from the staff and especially from the Protestant chaplain who is quite a dedicated man. About three weeks ago, the chaplain called me and said there was a patient on the seventh floor of the hospital who had told him he would like to talk to someone from Alcoholics Anonymous about his drinking. The chaplain couldn't remember the man's full name but said that his last name was Johnson and to go on to that, that floor... And, and the ward attendant would point him out to me. Since I was pretty much occupied with some other AA work right there and then, I couldn't make the call myself. I call our clubhouse and turn it over to them. Usually that is all that is necessary, and the call is promptly made. On VA hospital meeting night, a couple of days later, I went up to see Johnson and discovered that he had checked out of the hospital the day before. I didn't think too much about it, but a week later discovered that due to a misunderstanding, the call from the club had not been made and no one had contacted Johnson. This is a mistake that is much made, and I su suppose we just goofed. The following week, while talking with the chaplain at the hospital, I told him we had missed his man 
how it happened and I apologized. He then called the administrative office and gave me Johnson's full name and address. Since he lived here in our city, I felt that we might hear from him again. Back in my office, I got to thinking about Johnson and I felt that this man just might be somewhere right that minute probably cussing AA as a whole because he had asked for help and we hadn't come. So I got on my car and drove to his home to explain to him the shades were drawn and the air conditioner was running full blast, but no one answered my knock on the door. Now, this is familiar to some of us, so I just kept on pounding on the door. Finally, the door opened and a man stood in front of me, clad only in his britches, barely able to stand. He asked me in and I told him who I was and that I had come from AA. In response to his conversation with the chaplain, he seemed rather vague on the point and kept insisting he couldn't remember talking to the chaplain about it. He was talking of suicide and was crying, laughing, heaving, and in fact, just pretty damn sick. He finally said he might want to try to get sober and agree to go to the clubhouse with me. We kept him in the club about two hours and he had enough. He said he wanted to leave, so I took him to the northern part of the city to a place where his girlfriend worked and let him out. I had given him a way of life pamphlet with my name and phone number on it. The last I saw him, he was weaving down the street with that little blue book sticking out of his hip pocket. The next day, I called the chaplain to tell him what happened to his man, and he quickly informed me that he was indeed sorry, but he had made a mistake. His name and that name he talked to was named Jones instead of Johnson. He said he knew Johnson, but that both he and Johnson's doctor thought that AA or anybody else was wasting their time trying to talk to him. I suppose I agreed with him and went on about my business. I quickly was given the name Wrong Man Bill, and everybody I knew had a pretty good laugh at it. <clears throat> well, I suppose I was kind of it was kind of funny, but there is a sequel. A week ago, the phone at the clubhouse rang about 10 o'clock in the morning. Yes, it was my friend Johnson. He wanted help. When we went to get him, he'd been gone without a drink for several hours, trying to get up guts to call us, and he acted as though he really wanted what AA had to offer. He was taken to our 12-step house where he stayed for five days. He left there this morning, sober, bright-eyed, looking for a job, and apparently literally risen from the dead. He had been drunk continually since 1953 and hadn't worked a day during that time. His eyes were shining this morning when he left, and he looked like a different man. You know the change that takes place because you've seen it yourself. Now, if he is an alcoholic, we all know he could get drunk again tomorrow. But somehow, I'm going to believe that this higher power we talk about so much was working a little overtime last week. And that whether my boy stayed sober or not, I stood in the very presence of God that day when Johnson opened the door for me. Tears in his eyes and grabbed me around the neck and said he wanted to try. This is by B.C. Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Is that a coincidence or is that God? 
Is there a God here that answers prayer? One of the reasons we want to talk, what we think about, what we talk about, will come about, is that it's a prayer. It's really a prayer. You know, if we're made in the image of God, you know, today is going to be a good day. Great things are in store. All things are possible. God is listening to us, and we act accordingly. In other words, you know, we take a big wagon, you know, wherever we go, because, you know, there's going to be an abundance of benefits all over the place. Our faith, our believing will bring, attract those benefits. All right, let's go ahead and move on here. And uh, let's see what our uh, daily reflection entails for today. Thank you so much for the ninth. It says, walking through fear, May 9th. If we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. Alcoholic Anonymous, page 76. When I had taken my fifth step, I became aware that all my defects of character stem from my need to feel secure in love. To use my will alone to work on them would have been trying obsessively to solve the problem. In the sixth step, I intensified the action I had taken in the first three steps. Meditation on the step by saying it over and over again, going to meetings, following my sponsor's suggestions, reading and searching within myself. During the first three years of sobriety, I had a fear of entering an elevator alone. One day, I decided I must walk through this fear. I asked for God's help, entered the elevator, and there in the corner was a lady crying. She said that since her husband had died, she was deathly afraid of elevators. I forgot about my fear and comfort of her. This spiritual experience helped me to see how willingness was the key to working the rest of the 12 steps to recovery. God helps those who help themselves. And I'm Fernando Alcoholic. Amen. Not only helping ourselves, but helping ourselves to help others and to help others and to help others. The way of life with the, in this 12-step program. What this reading that I just read about the Johnsons and Jones and going to the wrong place, and if that is God or not God, coincidences? One of the things that tells me that there's a lot of coincidence people that are probably drinking and listening to this podcast. And that probably religion or heavy-duty uh, Jesus does not cannot enter them. They've been hurt. It's been presented wrongly. And I do apologize for uh, pounding you with the, with the Bible over your head about salvation, uh, seeking the Lord, going further. In my opinion, um, this was showed up. Uh, this was the person who showed up in my cell was Jesus. He was the one who talked to me. And uh, I tried about 14 times testing the water, see if it was Jesus in reality in charge. And he always came forth. He always came forth. So I don't have self-pity. I found out it was self-pity all along that I couldn't believe. My believer was broken. So to believe and to act in faith was my part. 
you know, God has showed me over and over with compassion that he is there, you know, through animals, through situations, through answered prayers. Uh, let's give God the benefit of the doubt that he is in charge, you know. You know, or just the power of good words could be a God. The power of good words, like easy does it, first things first, think, 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 is represented and empowered by God. So, you know, just giving those words up to God and speaking good things will come about. What we think about, what we act about, how we act about plays a big role in I'm thinking, getting the lead out. Get the lead out of your butt and, and get dressed and get going and act like it. And keep acting like it. All right, now I must be talking to myself. God bless you. Uh, good things will, are in store for us today. For we are doing God's will. Take care. Let's go ahead and pray out with a third step prayer, please. God. I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, of thy love, of the way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Keep coming back, family. It's working. Hazeltan puts out an incredible amount of uh, recovery information, wellness, emotional sobriety. Please look them up. They're an incredible company. Uh, I don't know who was the organization that started it, but it would be nice to look, look at the history of the company called Hazleton. Huh. For instance, today, May 9th, their little book, Keep It Simple. The longer I live, the more beautiful life becomes. Frank Lloyd Wright. Frank Lloyd Wright, furniture maker, designer, building designer. For many of us, life was a burden while using alcohol and other drugs. As our illness went on, life was more ugly. We grew further from our friends, family, and higher power. In recovery, our eyes and hearts open a little more each day. We see the beauty that life holds. We now see that before recovery, we weren't living. We were dying, really dying. In recovery, we again may feel happy when we hold a baby. We again may feel joy when we see a sunset. This happens mainly because we've chosen to be with people who love life. People who've been given a second chance. Once we almost lost something important, it becomes more precious. We almost lost our lives. Now our lives are special. Prayer for the day. Higher power, thank you for a second chance. Thank you for opening my eyes and heart. Give me the strength to keep them open. Action for the day. I'll list the most beautiful parts of my life. I'll open my heart today. To the joy in store for me. Amen. What a beautiful, beautiful reading of the Hazelton book. Now we're going to shift gears to another book. And this one's called Happy, Joyous, and Free. The Lighter Side of Sobriety. This is an A.A. Grapevine book. 
and all the uh, humorous ones have been uh, compiled here. For instance, Up in Smoke, June 2006, Up in Smoke. At 22 months sober, I'm still a baby to the AA way of life. One concept I can fully comprehend, however, is our purpose as a group. We help one another recover from our alcoholic insanity and grow emotionally, spiritually, and physically by using the tools from the program. I experienced one need to tool recently. After a recent Sunday morning meeting, I went home for my usual fix of pro football. I got a phone call inviting me to a character defect burning. A character defect burning. I copied down the, the direction, even though I intended to stay home and watch three football games. One is never enough. Halfway through the second game, I started thinking about my sponsor's comments on defects of character. After 31 years of sobriety, he says that he still has all of his. He laughs when he hears people say they're working on their character defects because the idea is to not let them work on you. Hey, just like that, I was out the door, into the truck, and headed for what I figured at the, at the least would be a camp, campfire of some fellowship. I followed the directions to a dirt road, went through a stretch of pine trees, low coverings, and came to a lake with a sand beach surrounded by woods. It was about an hour before dusk. A small fire was already started. Off to the left, not very far, was a tree much larger than the other trees. Someone tacked a sign on it. It read, Tree of Willingness, under the tree. There were logs and pieces of lumber of all sizes, all had blank sheets of paper stapled to them. There was an instruction sheet on a nearby table. It said to pick out a piece of wood according to the size of the defect you want to get rid of, or the resentment you were trying to let go of, and write the defect's name on the paper. Offer a prayer to your higher power, throw the log on the fire and turn your defect or resentment over to God. The instructions also carry this warning. Be careful with your resentments. They may cause sparks. When the sun set behind the trees in the west, a full moon rose above the opposite side of the woods, lighting up the lake as our bonfire grew. Someone brought marshmallows. There were also some conga drums bongos, tambourines, a flute, and a guitar. We played, sang, and danced most of the night, and even cracked a few jokes about the concepts of AA as a cult. It was a great time. It was a sober time with family. But for me, the greatest feeling of that event was watching my particular character defects burn and turn into ash. It hasn't bothered me for over a week now. Do I think it's gone forever? Probably not. But if or when it rears its ugly head again, I know deep down it's spent and can't burn me. I know deep down it's all burned up and it can't harm me. From Jason B. Dale Haven, New Jersey. Woohoo! Thank you, Jason. That was a beautiful story, huh? Uh, wonderful character defect story.
You know, God is always with us. One of the things this story reminded me, Fernando, alcoholic, I was uh, I was driving truck for this one company, and well, flatbed company, one of the better experiences of my life was tying down I-beams and heavy-duty iron on a flatbed truck and delivering it through to three states, Nevada, Arizona, and California, running up and down those states. So I was getting muscular because every 100 miles you had to tie down your your freight with the come-alongs and the gears and the chains and the ropes and a lot of physical fit hanging on to the side on the freeway, making sure your load stayed on the truck. In this particular time, I was happened to be in Tucson at a red, it looked like red sand uh, desert, and I picked up a red uh, uh, pipe, you know, made out of uh, clay or something, ceramic pipers. But, you know, they, they, they cure it under the ovens, and then it's, it was uh, plumbing, big, big plumbing pipe for a new housing development. They were going to lay it down on the, on the ground. So I had a big load, two sets of trailers, and I was tying them down, and I didn't know the directions. The directions were vague because it was in, inside a, a road up in the mountains. And as I was tying down, this, this little old man that you wouldn't think had information like came by and he says, you're taking the, the load over there. And I said, yes. And he said, you're going to go through a place where you, you seem you're going to be going the wrong way, he said. It seems like you're going to get a ticket. It's houses and there's houses and they're elegant and you're driving a semi into a place you're going to cross a bridge that you don't think the truck is going to hold. And then you're going to go to a dead end. And you, if you look closely at the dead end and the bushes, there's a little sign, a little square worn out sign that says ceramic tile or something. And I did exactly what he told me. It was a long haul. I was in Tucson and I had a, or Phoenix and I had to drive up to Fremont, California and find this place. Actually, it was uh, it was not in Fremont. It was on that uh, highway up in the mountains that cut across Nellie's Nellie's to the town Nellie's somewhere around that area. And as I went over there, there was uh, exactly the way he said it. And when I went into the bushes with the semi, it dropped down into a dirt road and into a besides a creek road and hitting bushes and it was dark. All of a sudden I was in a different world. It was a, creeping alongside a mountain on my right. There was a, a stream, a rushing river on my left. There was railroad tracks on the other side. And I just kept creeping along into a different world. I said, this is bizarre, but I was having the time of my life. And finally, after a few miles, I got to the place where they were having the uh, there was another uh, place where they made the tile or they made the, those pipes and I was going to drop them off there, hidden in the woods from the 1920s or 1930s. I perceived that they bought the land almost dirt cheap way back then and they were still doing their work. Um, 
the beautiful thing about that, I got off the truck and I had a, a little hummingbird come and look at me, check me up and down, buzzing around me. A stranger in the area. And it was a sign from God that I had prayed so hard to find that place. I was so tired and I didn't want to be running around. I didn't want to get a ticket and couldn't park the truck anywhere in, the, in these roads now. But God came through me. He, uh, he helped me unload and get going. So God does answer prayers. He, he guides us as we go along. Amen. All right. Our next story is called 99 Years of Sobriety. This is from the Grapevine, August 1998. Dear Grapevine, Many years ago, on the occasion of my fourth AA birthday celebration, a friend who shares the same sobriety date as mine dropped by our house and gave me a box of chocolate candy. My mother, who was 85 at that time, found the candy the next day and ate over half the box. When I got home from work and discovered that seven of the 12 pieces were gone, my mother spoke up and said, I ate it. I said, Mother, don't you know that I received that as a gift for my anniversary of staying sober for four years? She replied, Well, I've been sober for 85 years and no one's ever bought me a box of candy. Mother always had a sweet tooth. This event took place back in 1979. I now have 18 years of continuous sobriety. My mother lived until she was 98 years, 8 months and 11 days old. I guess she had almost 99 years of sobriety. Ken J. from the Kelb, Illinois. Thank you, Ken. This next one is heard at a meeting, overheard at a meeting from 2007 March. At an AA meeting, we took turns reading out of the big book. One member turned, came, and she read, And now about sex. Many of us needed an overhauling, overwhelming there. And now about sex. Many of us needed an overwhelming there. The woman and her husband got very red in the face. The room erupted with laughter. Jeff H. Paul Valley, Oklahoma. Our next story is called Going Cold Turkey. December 1983, Dear Grapevine, A hunter had been after a wild turkey for years with no success. One day, though, a turkey walked blindly up to him, and he promptly shot it. The wild turkey is elusive game, with uncanny sight and hearing, and the man suspected the bird was injured or diseased. Close examination proved neither was true, but on dressing the bird, the hunter found it full of fermented grapes. The turkey was drunk. D.R. Corning, New York. <laughs> All right, one more and we will finish. Transfer, please. This one's from July 1953. It had been really a serene morning and lunch with Les, our secretary, had given me a feeling of contented smugness. In the bus, I settled down to return to the office when I recognized a series of familiar greetings from the firm's secretary. 
sales manager, account and production chief who occupied seats in the front and rear of me. I acknowledged their greeting, lit a smoke, and waited for the bus to move off. So, smoke with the flies, Pat. A voice and perfume thudded next to me. It was Anne, and there was no mistaking that brandy burr that sobriety had never ever dedicated in her penetrating tone. Uncomfortably, I pacified her with a cigarette. Anne was dry, true. When the novelty had worn off, she did give it a bang spasmodically for a week or more. Fast and furious was that binge, and it shook many AAs. The funny part of it was that it didn't shake Anne. To her, it was a demonstration, especially for others, of what she could be like when thanked up, and also it silenced the critics who said that she used other stories dressed up differently to impress her audience. She skirmished around the weather, expressed indignation about the speaker at a meeting she attended, and as the bus moved, the pace and pitch of her voice increased. Was talking to a quack last night about you. Really? I parried nervously in a hushed voice, praying that Anne would imitate, not a chance, she increased her volume. Oh, yeah, this quack said, what? That soak sober? No, I simply cannot believe that he is sober. The conductor was alongside for fares. I mumbled the amount in anguish She, while she carried on relentlessly. Yep, I told the doc that you not had a snort for five years, and he said that was a miracle as you were the biggest drunk that was in Cape Town, and no human could ever cure you of your terrible thirst. I was becoming desperate as the tirade continued. This seems to be a vault with Anne's voice reverberating around the tomb's silence. In my rapid glance towards the conductor for my chance, I saw he was grinning. <laughs> my imagination supplied the facial expression that must have been on my chief's faces. I dare not look in front or around. Desperate, I whispered softly, I don't recall the doctor you're speaking about. That's to be expected, she yelled. You were always paralytic drunk when you saw him. Mercifully, my bus driver arrived. Crimson, I sunk up and croaked my farewell as I commenced to crawl down the corridor, my chief ahead of me. Oh, I haven't finished yet, Anne glanced around, disappointed, but not to be outdone, she shouted after me. I told the whack, the quack, that you, like me, had joined Alcoholic Anonymous. That is why I have lunch in the office these days and read the serenity prayer over and over. I also use the back entrance of the firm and will do so until my wound is healed. And this came from Cape Town, South Africa, from PJ Off. <laughs> Anyway, God bless you, and let's go ahead and close with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Keep coming back. It's working. Introducing 
the wingman, Alan Warren, Alan Warren, the wingman for uh, RV industry, on the economy. So here we go. We'll be hearing him. this is his take, uh, honest man, kind of like a leader, very enthusiastic. I believe in what he says. Let's listen up. Father God, we thank you for showing us the future, the economy, through your righteous, right people, Lord God. Thank you for giving us a new day in understanding for your glory and your honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's, here's Ellen. On today's video, I'm going to share a story with you that uh, many people may find very corny and hokey. Uh, others, I'm hopeful that you'll say, that's kind of cool, and I can relate to it. But either way, thank you for watching this video. Thank you for finding our channel. If you have not yet subscribed, I hope at the end of the video you'll say, you know what, let's give it a thumbs up and hit the subscribe button. Maybe share this video with your friends on social media. I'm a lifetime lover of the great outdoors. I grew up camping and hunting and fishing. And when my daughter, who is now 30, and she's a mom and a wife and uh you know, she's a full-grown woman. When she was a little bitty girl, when she was five years old, I wanted to instill in her a love of the outdoors. I had taken her outdoors before and boat rides and things, and she was beginning to get it, but she had never been deer hunting. So I'm going to take her deer hunting. So 25 years ago, picture this little bitty five-year-old girl, she and her daddy. It was going to be a one-night deer hunt. We left San Antonio in the afternoon. We're down here in Texas, but a cold front had blown in. It wasn't super cold, but it was pretty chilly. For a little child, it was cold. And we got, and I said, you can go and do anything you want. You can go throw rocks. You can, you can just don't get lost. <laughs> Here's where camp is going to be. So I was setting up tent, and she, Daddy, or, you know, uh, I can hear you, and I'm getting the tent ready and getting the sleeping bag zipped together and the fire pit ready. I got everything ready, and she's out doing whatever she's doing. And she was having a ball. So that night, I'm telling her stories. And about half of them I made up. I just came up with stories off the cuff. And uh, the next morning we got up early because I want her to watch her daddy shoot a deer. That at the time when I was a young man, that was so important to me. I want her to watch her daddy shoot a deer. So I had the deer blind picked out living here in Texas. We hunt down here in these boxes. Essentially, it's a box. We call them a deer blind. And this one was up on a tower. You had to climb up a ladder to get in. So we had this tower blind uh, already located. We knew where we were going to hunt in the morning. She didn't care. She just wanted to be with her daddy. Woke up super early. It's dark 30. And I made her a cup of hot chocolate. And, you know, we snacked on some things. I said, we got to get up to the deer blind, and I'm going to leave you up there while I go and park the truck. So I had a backpack full of goodies and the thermos full of hot chocolate and my rifle and my daughter. And went up there, and I shoved her up the ladder. She climbed up the ladder, and I'm right behind her making sure she doesn't fall. She gets in the blind, and she is noisy as all get out. Hitting the side. She doesn't mean to be noisy, but she's a five-year-old. She's never done this before. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it's dark now, but as soon as it gets light, these deer, we're not even going to see a deer because she's so noisy. I did not want to get on her. We got up into the blind, put the rifle in the, lean it up in the corner. I said, sweetheart, I'm going to go down, I'm going to park the truck, and I'll be right back. And so here's your flashlight. And I left her a flashlight. I said, don't touch that gun. And so I go down, down the ladder, go get the truck. I 
parked the truck 100 yards away and I walk back and I see this light going like this, the, the shining the flashlight, making noise. This little girl was making so much noise, I'm thinking I'm never going to see a deer if she's going to shine that flashlight and make all this noise. But I get in there, I don't get on her. I just sit there. It's, come on, come on, the, 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 the sun is getting ready to rise and the deer are going to start moving. And she's talking and making noise, bumping. She doesn't mean to, but, and, and I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to let it go. The deer are supposed to show up. If they show up, great. If they don't show up, that's fine, too. And all of a sudden, she says, Daddy, I'm cold. And it was a little chilly, but for a five-year-old, I guess she was cold. And she says, would you hold me? And she's little, five years old. And I, you know, I'm thinking, well, the deer are going to come out any minute. If I'm going to shoot a deer, I can't be holding her and shooting a deer at the same time. You know what? Yeah, come here. And so... I unzip my jacket, and I put her on my lap, this little five-year-old girl, and she fell asleep in about 30 seconds, maybe less. And I, the deer starts showing up. She's sound asleep. And I thought, what am I here for? Oh my God, my angel, my gift is right here, asleep in my lap. And I thought I wanted to teach her how to shoot a deer. And the deer came and the deer went and she woke up and she said, Daddy, are we seeing anything? And I said, yes, honey, we're seeing some deer. She just fell back asleep. Never did shoot a deer. Never even touched the rifle. We got finished, went back down, ate lunch, Took the tent down, packed up the truck, went home, went to the house. Mama says, uh, so how was, did y'all get a deer? Miss Katie goes, no, but I love deer hunting. And I'm thinking, it wasn't about the deer. It wasn't about that at all. It's about time. It's about fun. That was the last time my five-year-old little baby, now a grown woman, ever was on my lap like that, inside my jacket on a cold morning, sound asleep. And I was so blessed. But I thought, I thought I wanted to kill a deer. Uh -huh. I really, my prize, my trophy was right here in my lap. It wasn't out there. I share that story because I think Oftentimes, we miss the mark. I sure thought that it was all about the killing of the deer. Yeah, I'm gonna, she needs to show, you know, learn about conservation. I'm going to teach her about safety and all these different things. She didn't care about any of that. She wanted to be with Daddy and have fun. And I think that if we can, can remember that uh, children especially, beginners, this world of the outdoors is its new. Everything is new. She heard some coyotes and she swore, five years old, she says, Daddy, there's wolves. Yes, honey, they're wolves, even though I knew they weren't. As I said, I made up stories, but I spent that time with her. Time is so precious, and, and I know you know that. Hopefully you don't think this is too goofy of a story to share here, but but... I believe that 
if we were to listen to them, because they're telling us, at five years old, she couldn't articulate what she was feeling. But when I finally went, oh my God, it's not about those deer out there. It's not about pulling the tree. None of that. It's about this. The light bulb went off. And from that moment on, I never tried to push deer hunting or anything at all on her except safety and fun and respect. That's it. Wasn't really difficult. You know, she's shot a couple of deer in her life. She didn't care about doing it, and I don't push her, but she loves the outdoors, and she loves telling the story about climbing up on Daddy's lap and falling asleep. So anyway, I want to share that story with you in hopes that you can relate. You don't think I'm too big of a wuss, but post your comments. Let me know if you think that sometimes we do miss the mark. We need to be more sensitive to the children and, and think, not try to shove it into them. We're going to teach all this stuff. Teach them with love and with time and by listening to them and making things fun. Hopefully this wasn't too much of a downer. I would love to hear what you think. Thank you so much for watching. And again, if you like this video, please consider subscribing to the channel. Share it with your friends on social media. I am Alan Warren, the RV Wingman. Be safe, have fun, play nice, and don't leave your good manners at home. I'll see you in the next video. Action plans. Before we roll this little interview, I think is, is very, very telling. Um, do you remember, if you're my age or around my age, a little bit older, when we went to school, there was something called shop class that the boys had to take, you know, metal shop or welding or wood shop, and we built things. We learned how to drill holes and saw with a saw and weld and do all these different kinds of things. Girls took homemaking or home economics. They learned how to sew and do all the things, you know, back traditional girls used to do back then. There used to also be something called uh, practical living classes. Uh, the teacher would take the class out and show you how to change a flat tire, show you how to put water in your radiator, how to check the oil, how to check the transmission fluid, how to balance a checkbook. You know, practical living before computers took over our lives. All those classes, all those things that we used to have to take in school, I think we look back on it and go, I am so glad I did that because it, it's helped me as an adult. Unfortunately, it's not that way. Not that way anymore in school. And more and more people, or fewer and fewer people, know how to turn a wrench. Fewer and fewer people understand how things work. And so when you buy an RV, there is a lot of stuff going on. So how do you protect yourself when you don't really know how to fix things? Well, a lot of people buy an extended service protection plan. I personally don't believe in them. However, for the person that doesn't know how to turn a wrench, for the person that doesn't want to have to fix things and tinker and work on their RV, an extended service protection plan might be a good thing to look into. Up now is my friend Kevin Fraser from Cheyenne Camping Center. He's going to give you his take as we talk about ESPs and how people have changed today compared to years ago, including yours truly. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about the extended service plans, the ESPs that dealers make a lot of money on it. You know, and, right? and people really want them. Um, well, and why do you think that is? Is it because the automotive industry has trained us to think that well, I've got a warranty so everything's covered? I used to think that. I used to think it was training, but I know now it's not. 
Ellen, you and I are a certain age and we've turned a wrench or two in our lives. We know basically how things work, but if somebody shows us a high-tech doohinky from the last 20 years, we're clueless. So when somebody who hasn't turned a wrench or even changed a tire is confronted with a brand new machine that does have some high-tech doohinkies on it, they want the security of knowing that no matter what goes wrong, it's going to cost $100 deductible. Okay, now that's, that's if people remember, it's not a warranty, it's insurance. If I got $100 deductible insurance that prevents me from spending $1,000 on a new refrigerator, that's okay. If I got a $100 deductible that gets me a microwave, maybe I can go to the local store and buy my own microwave and put it in, but guess what, today's people won't do that. They, they, there's, there's, there's fewer and fewer of us of, of them do-it-yourselfers. You and I know that. And, and, and uh, people around here that grew up on the farm, they don't think of anything uh, of, of rehabilitating, rebuilding, manufacturing their own stuff. But modern folks want to have, we're not modern, Alan. We're modern. Modern. We have this, this technology yeah. in our hands. And do, you have an, do you have an extended plan on your smartphone? Actually, I do not. Well, well, they wanted $17 a month for insurance on this thing. You know, well, I drop it, I drop it, I'll be responsible for it. See, you and I think like that. <laughs> but other people think, I don't want to hit to the budget. And especially if, if, I'm, if I'm on a budget and I got payments on an RV, I don't want to think it's going to cost me more than $100. But Kevin, it's not just $100. It's $100 and an extended period of time that you don't know how long that period's going to be. Because you may have your RV out of service for months. Oh, well, uh, that's a different problem altogether. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's not no, just $100. We, we don't have services. We don't have RVs out of service months here. Sorry. Even with parts problems, there's always substitution. There's always a way that you can get it sorted out. And I'm not the guy that's that's going to endorse uh, extended service plans. I, I I would always say, well, first of all, an extended service plan shouldn't cost more than two grand on most RVs ever. But I can put that two grand away. When I remember Christmas clubs, put it away, and if something goes wrong, use the two grand for the something wrong. And if five years go by and you sell or trade off your RV. I'll probably still have that two grand. When service plans go stupid, is when you're not paying two grand for them or twelve hundred for them. That's where they should be in that range. It's when the guy tells you, "Oh yeah, well the service plan is fifty-eight hundred dollars, but it covers everything." You know, if that refrigerator in this RV were to go on the fritz when it's out of warranty, that'll cost twelve thousand dollars to replace. I hear this all the time. You know how much it'll cost to replace? Twelve hundred. But they scare people. Fear. That's what they use. I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. If you're the holder of an RV and you've got an an extended service plan and you pay more than two grand for it, demand your refund. And if you still think you need the coverage, shop for one in the open market. So even if I bought it from, I know if I buy from Campy World, I can uh, cancel my ESP. I can cancel an ESP with anybody I buy from. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. 
That, and, and that's guaranteed in every state. And that in the state, there's an insurance commissioner. This is an insurance product. You should get back pro rata what you didn't use. And it's a five-year plan, and you tune, and you ask to cancel it. After one year, you get back 80%. And you're guaranteed by law that you can get that back. So the question is, is an ESP right for you? I can't answer that. If you're somebody that doesn't mind tinkering with things, you know how to do a few uh, basic repairs in your RV, maybe you don't need that extended service protection plan. Maybe you can take that money and put it in a savings account. Don't touch it. In a savings account, then in three or four years, if you haven't had a claim, guess what? You still got your money. If you do have a claim, you'll have the money to fix most any item. A lot of things in RVs nowadays are pretty well made. Air conditioners are pretty well made. They're not perfect. You know how water heaters, most of the time, last quite a while, as long as you take care of them. So if you feel good about making basic repairs in your RV, you may not need an ESP. If you are hesitant, if you feel overwhelmed with the thought of uh, having a problem, a breakdown, and you need that ESP to give you confidence and comfort, then maybe it is for you, but shop around. You don't have to buy the ESP from that dealer. I will tell you that if you do buy an ESP from the dealer, a good dealer will honor that. Be much more willing to honor it than if you come in, you're a third party, you buy an ESP from somebody else, you bring it to that dealer, You, the truth is you may not get waited on. That's the truth. The dealer, oh, you may not get waited on. So do you need an ESP? I don't know. You have to answer that question. Uh, can you cancel your ESP? Of course you can cancel it. They have to give you your money back on the unused premium. They have to, minus a, a, a processing fee. The problem is they never make it easy. It's always difficult, and it will take a little bit of time to get your money back, but they will give it back to you. Now, here's the deal. If you do cancel your ESP, you have a loan on your RV, Oftentimes, you won't get a check back. Let's say you're going to get $5,000 back on your ESP. They may not send you the check. They'll send it to your lender, and it will go against the balance that you owe on your RV. And that's good anyway, because you're going to have to pay that money. You might as well get it taken off the back end, so you owe a whole lot less on your RV. Hopefully this made sense. You may have to watch this video again. But thank you so much for watching. Let me know what you think. Do you think ESPs are a great thing, or not so much? I kind of say... It depends. Let me know. Post in the comments below. I read every one, listen to every voicemail. And I am uh, I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful to Kevin Fraser for being my go-to guy when it comes to all things RV related. I'm Alan Warren, the RV wingman. Be safe. Have fun. Play nice. And don't leave your good manners at home. See you next time. You know, lately I've talked about the uh, folks that are going to be one and done. In other words, they got sucked into the RV craze during the pandemic and they had bad experiences. They said, this is not for me. I'm going to tell you a little story. And it's, it's not just for the people that are the one and done crowd, but maybe there's something that you can glean from this little story that will be helpful. So once upon a time, there was a person that wanted to seek happiness. They wanted to find happiness. They had tried and failed and they wanted to find, how do I find happiness? So they visited this man, and he was an old, wise man, didn't speak very much. And he asked the wise man, where do I go? Where is happiness? And the wise man said, and the guy went.
and he didn't find happiness. He fell on his face. He fell flat on his face. It was misery. And he came back to the old man. He said, you told me that happiness was over there. Where is happiness? The old man said, He said, okay. So he goes over, he chases it, and guess what happens? He falls on his face again. It's terrible, terrible. He's limping back to the old man, and he says, you told me where happiness was. Where is happiness? And he points right like that, right there. He limps off in to find happiness, and he meets disaster, just disaster. Almost takes him out. He's crawling back to the old man. He crawls back to him. He said, you told me it was there, then there, then there. Where is happiness? Every time I have fallen flat on my face, where is happiness? It's on the other side of where you fell on your face. I think a lot of people that bought an RV fell on their face. They went on their first camping trip and things didn't work. Maybe they didn't take the time to do their homework learn how things operated in their RV. It could have been a whole lot of different things. And they gave up for the second trip or the third trip. They went that way, that campground, that thing, and it didn't work out for them. And they went, well, RVing's not for me. Happiness might just be on that next, right over that next problem. But if you give up before you get through the problem, you're never going to learn. You're never gonna find that happiness. Now is RVing for everybody? Absolutely not. It really isn't. But for most people, if you can get through that rough patch, and there will be a rough patch, even for seasoned RVers, there's a rough patch. You know what it's called? L-I-F-E. That's what it's called. Now, if you want everything, if you have to have everything just perfect or you're going to be miserable, don't buy an RV. In fact, I'd say don't try anything because successful people have to go through the rough patch. I see that problem with a lot of people it's not just with young people it's not just with first-time rv buyers we don't want to suffer we want it now and it better be good i think that i i try to look at life personally as when something life slaps me in the face kicks me hard that i don't give up i say well you know what on the other side of this there's got to be something good don't give up and so for all the people that were the you know the one and done's if you're thinking about you know giving the RV up, selling it, getting, go do something else. You're not going to find something, I think, that can, that can be any more meaningful for you and your family than RVing and camping. Good grief, you're connected to nature. What could be better than that? Nature doesn't care how much money you have or how much money you don't have, what kind of RV you have. Nature is just nature, and if you're not responsible, if you can't take care of yourself, you probably don't have, um, you know, probably shouldn't be out in nature anyway but go through those hard places fall on your face it's okay don't do stupid stuff but don't expect everything to go perfect don't expect you to pick up your iphone and there's gonna be the answer to everything right there because life is not that easy i wish it was man i wish it was but there's something else on the other side of that those disasters where you fall on your face there's confidence there's understanding there's wisdom there's reflection, things that you will never see on this side of that disaster. So when disaster happens in your life, I'm suggesting that you might want to hang in there. Don't throw in the towel, not on our RV. Don't throw the towel in on your spouse, on your kids, on your job. Don't do that. Hang in there because on the other side of that, there is good. You just have to hang in there long enough and try and find it. Is that a guarantee? 
No, it's not. But I'll guarantee you one thing. You fall on your face and you throw on the towel, that's a guarantee you're done. You're done. Whether it's a relationship, whether it's RVing, whether it's your job, whatever it happens to be, you throw on the towel, you quit, and you quit. That is a guarantee. So what does this have to do with RVing? Well, hopefully uh, you can read between the lines here. RVing, again, is not for everybody, but I think it's for most people. I think a lot of people can get benefits out of RVing and camping, even if they don't uh, buy an RV. You can go rent one. If you don't have an RV, don't want to rent one, go rent a cabin. Stay out in the woods. Take your family with you. Get off the technology. I promise you, there's something special on the other side of that. You just got to hang in there long enough. But let me know what you think. You think that uh, throwing in the towel is a good idea or maybe success, happiness, uh, being content is on the other side of falling on your face. Post your comments down below. I read every email. I listen to every voicemail message. And your comments, your thoughts really are important to me. I'm Alan Warren, the RV Wingman. Be safe, have fun, play nice, and don't leave your good manners at home. I'll see you next time. As you may know, I have been in the TV and radio business. I was most of my life. I'm retired now, except for doing these little videos. But in that almost 40 years, I got to tell you, advertising agencies did not like me. Go figure. They did not like me. Uh, I didn't care about hobnobbing and taking people to baseball games and football games and with the pretty girls and all that expensive lunches and spending the client's money. I believed in moving the ball down the field, helping the customer. So when it came to marketing, the marketing people at these companies that I worked with, the smart people, uh, I thought they were smart, they loved me because we put things together that other people are like, how did y'all figure that out? I love smart people. Agency people, not saying they're not smart, but they look at numbers and they calculate things and they put things in and that's what's going to come out. And reality has a way of biting those people in the ass. Sorry for being so direct, but I did get a response to my video. I did a Wingman Crushes ad campaign video. It was a couple of weeks ago, my response to the new ad campaign that the RV industry is pushing out there. We're going to play that commercial in just a second if you have not seen it. This will be the 60-second commercial. And as you watch it, I want you to just give me your honest opinion. Put your comments down below. Do you like it? I mean, to me, it's upbeat. It's fun. But something to me just misses the mark about what camping and RVing is really all about, at least it does for me, but I'd like to know what you think. Obviously, Noah, uh, Noah Williams thinks completely different than I do. I'm going to read his comment here after we're going to watch his spot. And I'm going to tell you why I think the way I do, and I'd love to hear your take. So right now, let's go ahead and watch that 60-second spot called Just Go. Go, say I do. Think about how you do it. Go Bears! 
So what did you think? What did you think of that commercial? Did it make you want to go RVing? Did it make you want to buy an RV? It certainly was uh, upbeat and politically correct, wasn't it? I mean, a lot of good music and, yeah, having fun. And there's nothing wrong with that. But to me, there's something that was left out of that commercial. It's something called balance. RVing is not about just experiences and, and taking the world. Let's go ahead and get it and conquer it. Hurry. we got to go hurry. We're going to lose it. For many of us, I think most of us, RVing is, is much deeper than that. That's a part of it. Of course, we want to go out and enjoy it. But there's much, much, much more to RVing than that. And that's where the magic is. It's fun, yeah, doing all that kayaking and mountain climbing. It is. But there's something deeper, more meaningful, that people at RV understand what I'm talking about. I'm going to read a comment that an advertising... He's a creative director in advertising. He commented, the first person that has commented on any of my videos that actually works for, I guess, an ad agency is a creative director. These guys are really, really smart, but he doesn't sound like he's much of a fan of me and my opinion of the ad from uh, Go RVing, but I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to give you my perspective. Noah Williams says, ready? What is wrong with you? The world has changed, and we want diversity and new experiences. I'm a creative director in advertising, and my wife and I part-time RV. You're not 100% wrong on things, but you do have a privileged attitude that is off-putting. We don't want brands telling us how to be a good person. We want messages that show us how to experience life. I didn't think any brand was telling people how to be a good person. Uh, Noah, thank you very much. I mean it. I'm, I'm serious as I can be. Thank you for taking the time to watch my video. If you didn't watch the video, it's called uh, Wingman Crushes Ad Campaign. There's a link to it down below. Uh, maybe you're going to agree with Noah. But, uh, you know, to me, the ad, it lacked balance. What I mean by that is... There's something deeper than just going out and kayaking and rock climbing and surfing and all those different things. Much more meaningful. Picture this. What if, go with me, just be with me on this. What if you, think back to a foggy morning. When you woke up and you went outside and went, whoa, man, I can't see anything. What if you, what if that fog never lifted, ever? What if it stayed all day? All night, all the next day, every day. It never lifted. You could only see what you could see. You could see it pretty comfortably, but you couldn't see past it. The fog was always there. Always. And what if you were born in that fog? You heard stories about what happens in the fog, and the other side of the fog. It's scary. The unknown can be scary. It really can be. I fear that too many people today live in a fog. And by the way, Noah, you live in a fog. <laughs> I promise you, you do. I do too. All of us live in a fog. We can only see what we can see. For me, I sometimes can't see the milk in the refrigerator. That's no joke. But all kidding aside, we can only see what we can see. That depends on our perspective in life. I see young people and, and creative directors and ad agencies that, that they see what they see and they think everybody sees that. Well, all the people who don't spend money, they see that. But older people, 
the fog is lifted some, and we see things a little bit differently. We saw that, and then we see this, and then we see that. And we see things that you see, and some of it's kind of weird for us. Truly it is, but we can see those things. And as much as I cannot accept many of the things that I see young people doing, I, I just, it just blows my mind. I have to accept them. I understand them. And I know that young people are the future. But I, I fear that young people don't value what older people can bring, the perspective they can bring. Think about that fog. Think about when it lifts. The fear. And that's the truth. Back when Magellan figured out that the earth was not flat. It was this round thing, this globe. You go sailing out there, and if you got to the edge, you weren't going to fall off. Up until Magellan, everybody was scared to death. They were, weren't they? I mean, it's the truth. But somebody had to go out there to prove the earth was round. You weren't going to fall off. And think about what that did for us. People are going, oh my God, they're going out on that ship. They're, we're never going to see them again. And some <laughs> didn't come back, but it wasn't because the earth was flat. We all live in a fog. And I think that to understand that, that the objective happiness is going to come when the fog lifts. And some things are scary. We don't want to see them. I, I don't want to see them. But there's so many wonderful opportunities out there. Beautiful, wonderful, exciting things. If we can just see them and grasp them and to try to help others to see them. Noah, in terms of us telling you, what did you say? You don't want brands telling you how to be a good person. You just want to experience life. We all want to experience life. We do. Even old people want to experience life. We just want to, most of us, experience it a little different way. We don't want to tell you how to live. I promise it wouldn't work anyway. Because you're going to live the way you want to. But I believe that all of us, all of us that, that can't, that care, we do it for more than the, the, the white water rafting and more than the campfire. All that's part of it. There's something deeply spiritual, deeply organic about being with people you love in that little camper under the stars. Doesn't matter how rich you are, doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter any, none of it matters. There's something deeply powerful in that. And that's what we need to try to connect with. And to paint a picture that the outdoors is all about, let's go get it, we're gonna get along first. I think is shortchanging the outdoors. And my fear is that a lot of these people, a lot of people I don't know how old you are, Noah. You're probably, you know, 35 years old, 30 or 40. Just guessing. I think a lot of people in your category, age demographic, have bought an RV because you bought this dream and you, you want to go out. I'm glad you're a part-time RVer. I hope you will continue, but I'll just bet you this. Every RVing trip, the fog lifts a little bit more. You learn a little bit more about your RV, right? I know you do, because we all do. We start out we only see what we see. That's good enough. We'll figure it out. Guess what? Give us enough time. We figure it out for better or for worse. And so my fear is, is that many of these people bought this, we're going to go get them and we're going to attack the outdoors. And you know what? We can even make the payments by renting that thing out. And they're finding out that 
Reality is not the same as the dream. The fog is lifting. And it's sad because those people won't buy another RV for the rest of their lives, probably. The reality, it used to be that when people would buy an RV, if they were happy with it, happy campers, they'd buy four or five more during their lifetime. Then the good thing is their kids and their grandkids, we didn't tell them, you gotta learn to like RVing. How do you don't have to do that? Just take them RVing. Spend time with them. I've always said that the way you spell love is T-I-M-E. Spend it camping. Spend it in the out of doors. So going back to the ad campaign, yeah, it's fine. RVIA, you're going to spend millions of dollars. And my, my question is this, how are you going to know if it works? And, and uh, Noah, if you're part of RVIA, I'm deadly serious. How will you know? How are you going to measure if it works? Well, the RV sales went up. You going to take credit for that? Because if you are, if the sales go down, are you going to take credit for that? What is the value of that commercial? I don't know. I don't think anybody can tell you what the real value is. I'm telling you, the value of taking a youngster camping, or even an oldster camping, introducing to them what camping is all about, and nature, and that connection. You can't measure that. But you can surely see it. You can feel it, and it's as real, it's as real as anything. And that's what we need to tap into. So I believe that older folks like me, we do have something to say. That is a value. And you can write us off, and you probably will. And one day before we want to, we'll be gone. Then you'll be running the whole show. You'll do a good job. There's plenty of improvement to make, I will assure you. I think most people my age will go, yeah, we screwed it up pretty good. <laughs> good luck, guys. But Noah, thank you. And thank you to everybody who watches these videos. Um, I am a lifetime camper. Nobody loves the outdoors more than I do. I love the people that do it. I want to protect nature. I want to protect the sanctity of what camping means to me. It means to millions of other people. It's more than just climbing that mountain and going down as fast as you can down through those whitewater rapids. Oh, that's great. But there's something deeply, deeply meaningful that can come out of the camping experience. I want to know what you think. Noah, thank you again for taking the time to watch the video and to write to me. Hopefully I can hear from you. You won't hate my guts. I'm not getting on you. I think you're a brave soul to post your comments. What is wrong with me? Sometimes I ask myself the same question. I really do. And I'm not sure. But I know that somebody up there has got the answers that I'm trying to find out. <laughs> find out exactly what they are. Thank you again for watching. Post your comments below. Subscribe to the channel. Share it on social media. I am Alan Warren, the RV Wingman. I will tell you the truth when most people will tell you kind of the truth. I'll tell you the truth, even if you don't want to hear it. I'll tell you at least something from my perspective that might be a little bit helpful in your life. At least that's my goal. Be safe, have fun, play nice, and don't leave your good manners at home. I'll see you again soon. I respond to as many emails and voicemail messages and comments as possible. Uh, I got a really good email. I'm going to read here in just a second. But before I do, uh, I want to remind you of something. I am not an investment advisor. The reason I say that is it seems like lately 
somebody is posting stuff down in the comments talking about cryptocurrencies and bitcoin and blah 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 you know how to get rich buying cryptos and i have nothing against cryptos but i have nothing to do with it and so we report them and hopefully they get taken off but uh if you're into cryptocurrency that's good but anybody that comments on that stuff down below has nothing to do with me uh by the way the people in the description of this video if you see down below uh, those are people that I do work with. I do consultant work for them. They are not advertisers. So if you do business with them, I don't get paid one more penny whether you buy something from them or not. Uh, and yes, the link to the folks who provide me with my shirts, actually they provide it when I pay for them, but they will give you a 10% discount if you use the keyword uh, checkout wingman22 and that information is down below. So. Here is the email, and if you have not yet subscribed to the channel, I hope you will. Uh, just subscribe, give it a thumbs up, uh, share it on social media. I am the RV Wingman. I tell you the truth, which is, I believe, some things that you need to hear. You may not want to hear them, but you need to hear them, at least to give you um, a different perspective when you're thinking about things RV-related or even about life. So, got this email from a guy named Peter Van Gogh. Can't be his name, but he, Peter Van Gogh. He said, Wingman, I'm still trying to figure you out. I have a fan, but you can't be the same person who was Mr. Nice Guy on the radio. That wingman talked more with actual RVers and people in the RV industry. I'm sure you were paid by all those people, but what happened? Did they drop you? Why? Your tone is much more direct and honest, even though you say some things that make my wife and me wince sometimes. Enjoying your videos of late, just wondering why the transition and if you see yourself ever going back to radio. Peter Van Gogh from Cincinnati. Isn't that a great name, Peter Van Gogh? Anyway, uh, honestly, Peter, I am trying to figure it out too. I know a lot of people are trying to figure out what in the hell am I doing. For almost 40 years I've been on TV and um, the last 10 years a lot in radio. Um, you may or may not know that I did the RV Show USA for five years. Started in 2017, I had a five-year plan. We sold our campground in Texas this last late last summer. We closed in September, and my wife wanted me to retire. Well, coincidentally, about the same time we closed on the campground, I was contacted by somebody with a, everybody will have heard about him, a big national chain uh, RV retailer, and they were interested in buying the RV Show USA, my syndicated radio show. I mean, nationwide, they wanted to buy it. I'm like, man, that's a pretty good deal. The only problem was the more I talked with them, they didn't just want to buy it. They wanted to turn it into a one-hour sales pitch, and I just didn't do that. So uh, I decided at the end of December I was going to close the show down. Like I said, it was my five-year plan. My wife is very happy that I did, and quite frankly, I am enjoying doing these YouTube videos a lot more than doing radio. It's a much smaller audience, but it is a, um, I don't know, a more connected audience. I feel more of a connection with each and every person that watches, and especially you folks who write to me. In terms of me getting paid by all the people, uh, what did you say? You said, uh, I'm sure that you were paid by all those people I had on my radio show. Well, that ain't right. I didn't get paid by anybody for being on the radio. Uh, those were my friends and guests and influencers, people that I liked, I still like, and um, you know they were uh, helpful to the RVing community, and I'm glad, Peter Van Gogh, that you actually listened to the radio show. 
Um, we have quite a few stations there in Ohio. I'm not sure what, what we were on in Cincinnati, but um, let me tell you something. When it comes to this channel, this YouTube channel, I'm not owned by anybody. Not anybody. Um, if you buy something from one of the companies, one of the businesses, dealerships that I consult for, I don't get paid any more for that. Nothing. Would I like you to do business with them? Of course I would. But that's your decision. You know, I vetted these people. I like them. Um, I think you would probably like them if you give them a chance. Are they the world's greatest and they're never going to screw up? I don't think so. I don't think anybody can be that way. But these are people that I have personally vetted. And, and they let me say whatever I want to say. When I was on the radio, I had some sponsors, some advertisers that said, you got to tone it down. Don't go on the attack. Don't be quite so direct. Is there a problem? Let me know. Is there a problem with people being direct? I've been told that I'm condescending sometimes. I probably am. But I'll tell you what I know I am. I know that I am direct. At least I want to be direct. I want to know, do you think it's okay to be direct nowadays? Or do we have to be so sensitive? There I go again. Do we have to be so sensitive to everybody's feelings and to the trigger things and all the stuff? Or can we just go ahead and be direct and be honest? You know, I say that I, I mess up a lot, and I do. I say things that I go, well, that made no sense. So if you're looking, there are a few trolls that check out this channel, and they're looking for any reason at all to say, look what he said, look what he did. You won't have to, as I say, you won't have to listen for very long to find me messing up. But I do my best to own my mistakes and to be honest with each and every person you know, that, that watches these videos because you're spending your time with me and I am most grateful for that. Um, I'm using this channel, I think as a platform. My wife wants me to retire. I said that earlier. I'm using this channel as a platform to still stay connected. I have been a lifelong lover of the outdoors. I have loved camping and RVing and nature and the people that do it since I was a little bitty kid. And I want to see that moving into the future. I want to see more and more people getting into the outdoors, but taking care of the outdoors, having respect for the outdoors and respect for others. And by using this platform, I'm able to at least kind of get up on my soapbox and share some thoughts. Hopefully some of them will connect with you. I don't expect somebody to agree with everything I say. Like I said, you know, before, if you agree with everything I said, something wrong with you. I know there's got to be something wrong with me. But I think I have a pretty good handle on some stuff. I've been, uh, you know, in the media business. Um, I have, not that that's a big deal, but it's uh, it, it's something I'm proud of. I've been in the media business, in the RV business. I've owned a campground. I've been around tons and tons of people of all different backgrounds, all different socioeconomic uh, levels. And I have a pretty good read, I think, most of the time. I'm pretty intuitive, if you will, and I see the future of the RV industry as, as uh, I see some dark stuff. I'm going to tell you about the dark stuff and the optimistic stuff I see. First off, I'm worried. I'm really worried about people. I'm worried that too many people are over their head in debt, that they're upside down in their RVs. That means they owe more than the RV is worth, and it's getting worth less and less every day. I think a lot of people have no idea how deeply in debt they really are, how upside down they are. And when they try to sell their RV, it's going to be a real, real painful wake-up call. So uh, I'm concerned about that. 
I'm concerned that those people have such a negative taste in their mouth for RVing or for a, a dealer that buried them that they won't ever RV again. You know, with the, the internet, you can get a bad review out like that and hit 10,000 people. And those people that are unhappy with RVing, those people that have been wronged by an RV dealer, and a lot of it is, is, is the, the, the buyer, the RV owner's own doing for not doing their homework. That's the truth. But these dealers, these big dealers, they know how to push your buttons. They do. And if you give them, they'll give you enough rope to have it right around your neck, then you will be buried in debt. Once that happens, it's really, really hard to get out. I'm concerned that a lot of people were talked into going and taking a second mortgage on their home. You watch TV, you know, uh, refinance rates are low. You can borrow 100% of your home's equity and you can get that and go on a trip. You can buy an RV. You, and a lot of people did that. And on paper, you know, that kind of stuff makes sense. Well, you know, you have me an RV and I can, uh, my house payments won't be that much. And what could go wrong? My belief. I hope I'm wrong. My belief is that we are getting ready to go into some really dark times and a lot of these people that, that say, what could go wrong? You're going to find out a lot can go wrong. I don't want people to get in trouble. So the negative is I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to keep saying, be careful, be cautious, go slow, ask questions. Do not go in debt if you don't have to. If you, if, when, when more than 60% of our country the people don't have a thousand dollars that they can touch if they have to go to the emergency room. If they have an emergency to come up, more than sixty percent of our country doesn't have a thousand dollars put away. Does that scare you? It, it, I don't know if it scares me. It worries me for a lot of people. Now, the bright side for the RV industry, and this is a really bright side. I think that housing has gotten so expensive that RVs are going to be. They're going to be kind of like the backup plan. A lot of people are going to sell their home. They may lose their home. I hope that doesn't happen. But they're going to move into an RV and live there full time. I hope that doesn't happen because RV living is not like living in a sticks and bricks home. It's not for everybody. RVs, I say it all the time, are a pain in the butt. All of them break. And they all break at the worst time. And they're more expensive and a bigger headache than any of us want them to be. The more work you do on your RV, the more required maintenance you do, the better experience you're going to have. That, I mean, that just makes common sense. But I think RV manufacturers are going to still sell a lot of RVs. And it's to the people that are losing their homes. My worry is then, where are they going to go? I mean, campgrounds are so crowded now. I think that some of that pressure is going to be alleviated as the economy, if it continues to go down. But does it worry you? I mean, let me know if this economy worries you. I look one day the stock market goes, the next day it's right the other way. Why? I'm not a financial analyst, but I mean, why? Gas is expensive, really expensive. And food is expensive. The shortages continue and the government can't, do we, are we going to have masks or are we not going to have masks? It's, there's so much confusion. I want to know what you think. Post your comments. So, Peter Van Gogh, thank you. I love your name, man. Thank you for uh, uh, watching, listening to me on the radio, and now watching me here on YouTube. Um, I, like I said, I don't owe anybody anything. I'm not, uh, you know, having to say anything to pitch some product. I don't have zero, none, not one affiliate link. So I can't even say I'm making a little bit of money when you click on those links below.
I don't get anything. And I'm not complaining. I'm, I like it that way. That way I can be honest and just tell you what I think. If you like it, great. If you don't, that's fine too. I have had some people, I gotta tell you some dealers, that have said, man, you gotta back off on some of the stuff you're saying. I said, what, you know, we'll never support you if you don't back off. And I said, well, you're not supporting me now. You think I'm gonna shut up? There are some people out there that really do wanna hear another person's perspective instead of just buy, 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 buy it. Go ahead, buy the payments. There's a lot of people, hopefully you're one of them, that likes to hear a different perspective. I don't have all the answers, but I know the answer is go into debt, uh, buy the payment, buy something that is a toy that's going to depreciate and put you in a financial bind. That ain't the answer. Now, if you can afford it, that's a different, that's a different story. But a lot of people in the industry are going, we cannot support you if you keep talking the way you talk. And guess what? My message for them is, that's fine with me. I'm not trying to be a smartass. I promise I'm not. I'm just trying to be the RV wingman. That is what I love to do. I'm going to call a spade a spade. I'm not always right, but I am always honest. And I will be honest with you. Like Peter Van Gogh, if you have a question, if you have a situation, you can email me. All that information is below. I read every email. I read all the comments. I listen to every voicemail. And I love to respond to people just like you. So we all want to be heard. I know you'd like to be heard. And your comments are very, very important to me. I appreciate each and every one. All right, I'm Alan Warren, the RV Wingman. Thank you, Peter Van Gogh, and thank you for watching. I do appreciate it. Be safe, have fun, play nice, and don't leave your good manners at home. I'll see you in the next video. Concerned. A lot of people have thought over the last few videos I was kind of down and grumpy, and I probably was, but I'm fine. And if you think that I'm afraid of having people that hate my guts, you're thinking wrong, because I ain't afraid. I'm not trying to make people hate me. I'm trying to be honest and helpful. And uh, the purpose of these videos is to really, hopefully help you think. Just kind of slow down for a minute and think. You don't have to agree with me. And what makes me feel really good is when people say, I watch your videos, I like your channel because you seem authentic. I don't know how any other way to be, it's just me. I'm filled with flaws, but I will tell you the truth and give you my perspective, and hopefully you can pull a nugget here and there and think about it, help you make a few better decisions or some adjustments along the way. So uh, I did a series of videos recently on uh, RVIA's new RVing campaign, you know, to get people to go out and buy an RV. It's called Just Go, and the video, I'm going to put a link to it below, it was called uh, Go RVing, Give Me a Break. Um, got a lot of comments on that. A lot of people don't like that ad campaign, kind of like I don't like it. But Wendell Stevens wrote an email, and uh, or actually made a comment, and I'm going to read that comment to you, and um, I'd like to know what you think. I'd like to know what you think about RVs. Um, another great perspective on what's going on in the RV community. Several points struck a chord with me over the last 10 years that we've been RVing. I've seen technology grow by leaps and bounds. People used to go camping to camp and to be outdoors. Now, many are more concerned with how many lights they can put up around their campsite, and how big their outdoor TV is, the quality of their exterior speakers, how far from their RV they can still hear their stereo, how far their pets will wander, etc. And all the gadgetry in and on the RVs astounds me. It's like, let's buy a six-figure motorhome with multiple touch screens that control every aspect of the RV, and because we didn't care for the batteries, the touch screens went blank, and now we can't bring the slides in. 
I keep hoping that this trend reverses, but it appears I may be wishing on a star. That's from Wendell Stevens. Thank you, Wendell, very much. And let me tell you something, brother. You are wishing on a star. But there's nothing wrong with wishing. I wish on a star, too. But I don't think it is going to change. RV manufacturers make things that people buy. That's the name of the game. If people buy it, they're going to make it. And people love lights and lipstick, all that glitter, all that shiny stuff, and they forget to look underneath that. It's kind of like on social media. You know, you see somebody's picture on social media, and they're so beautiful. Man, then you see them in person, you're like, is that that same person I saw that Facebook picture of? You got to look beneath that one little, those lights. Look beneath all that glitter. Look beneath all that fancy stuff. How's the RV made? That's the important thing. Yeah, it's nice to have all those nice things, but look for quality. And quality is not in those LED lights and all that fancy stuff, glitter, as they say. A um, couple of things, kind of analogies, if you will, um, parallels, metaphors. Um, Chevy Trucks was one of my big sponsors when I was doing TV fishing programs. And, uh, you know, I talked with the engineers and some of the design people, and, and I would often ask, well, why don't you guys make a... a truck that's just a basic truck doesn't have all that you know power everything and carpet everywhere and all but you make just a basic truck that i can take to the car wash after i get through fishing or hunting i can spray that thing out and it's going to cost a whole lot less money why don't you even offer that we don't want to do that we don't that's not what we do we sell those expensive suburbans and tahos and i know but why don't you because we don't make enough money doing that and that's the truth. It's not what I wanted to hear, but at least it was an honest answer. People will buy things. We want all that flashy stuff. We look, need to look for quality. Another uh, kind of metaphor, if you will, when I was doing those TV fishing shows, I worked really hard to get a, uh, a lure sponsor. This, this, this was a very big lure company that if you're a fisherman, you probably know who it is. But uh, I worked a long time to get this company as a sponsor to support me and to believe in me. They made all different kinds of things. So I was part of their pro team and went to a meeting. And at that meeting, they always introduced new products. And so as a member of the pro team, which is really cool, kind of an ego deal, uh, they said, you know, here's some stuff. We want everybody to go out and test it and give us their honest feedback before we release it on the market. Man, this is so cool. The lure band was beautiful. Go out, long story short, go catch fish. It caught the you-know-what out of fish. It was great, except for one thing. The hooks were terrible. They were terrible. They were super sharp. But you catch a little fish, and it all, like, almost bend the hook out. It caught a big fish. It, was, it wasn't straight in the hook, but the hooks were not very durable, very sharp, but thin and wimpy. And, and how do you say that when you go to the next meeting? How do you tell them that... <laughs> like the lure, don't like the hooks. But I did, because they asked me for my opinion. And everybody else that was there was like, I don't believe I want to send that. But it was the truth. They asked for the truth. One of the senior uh, VPs pulled me off to the side a little bit later on. He said, uh, you know any of those hooks we have? I don't have any idea. Do you know how we get them? I said, I don't have any idea. We get them in these big barrels, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of them. And we've got many of those barrels. We're not going to change those hooks until we get through all the ones we've got. And I'm thinking, that's not what I wanted to hear. But it's the truth.
You would think somebody at the company would care enough to go, oh my God, instead of having, I don't have it cost them to make all this product that was inferior product. They sold it, guarantee, and they sold it. And I guarantee you a lot of people, maybe I got a bad batch. I don't think so. A lot of people probably had the same experience as me and just chalked it up, saying, well, they only 10 bucks. But when somebody asks me for the truth, I'm going to tell them the truth. Now, even if it's my boss, even if it's somebody I work for, for Chevrolet, whoever it is, I'm going to try and be as honest as I can without being ugly. And people are buying these RVs with all this glitter on them, and it makes a lot of money for the manufacturers, and God bless them. But it's not the glitter that makes the RV good. It's the stuff underneath that glitter, underneath the lights, underneath all that sparkle. And, oh, it smells so good in here. I can just imagine us going to the lake. How is it made? Really, how is it made? Do you know? Do you know what your required maintenance is going to be on that RV? Because if you don't know, you will find out real soon. Let me tell you something. They all fall apart. Every one of them. The best RV on the road is going to fall apart if you don't take care of it. And every RV is going to require more work and more maintenance than you hope it does. That's just a fact of life. But the good far outweighs the bad, at least in my opinion it does. But you got to know what you're getting into. Don't fall for the lights and lipstick, as they call it. Look for quality. Go online, read reviews, check the reviews of the dealers. I've recently done also some videos on the extended service plans, these extended warranties. I'm not a big fan of them. And here's why, because most dealers are crappy. And when you got a crappy dealer and an overexpensive warranty and you can't collect on it, it's a bad deal. You got a good dealer? And there are good dealers, really good dealers. And you buy that extended warranty, I'm telling you, when you have a problem, they will help you more so than someone that's like, what's your name? When were you here? And you know what I'm talking about. So. I'm not a big fan of the extended warranties personally, but I think if you have the right dealer, they can be, you know, you got to make that decision, but you got to make an informed decision. So, Wendell, thank you very much for your input. I want to thank everybody. Um, you don't have to agree with me. I hope you don't agree, agree with me. <laughs> I hope you don't agree with me on everything. Gosh, if you do, you're a sad, sad person like I am. <laughs> But I'd love to hear from you. Your comments are important to me. I love getting voicemails. I love the emails, even from the people that don't like me very much. I read every one of them. I am not afraid, and I will read some of them. Uh, I, I laugh at them. It's not a condescending way. Maybe part of it is. But I, I do want to acknowledge that I don't have all the answers. But guess what? Neither do you. And the person that's out there that knows, that sees one video and goes, I hate his guts. You know? How shallow is that person? <laughs> I mean, really? Stick around. Watch a few of these videos. You may determine, you know what? I really do hate that guy's guts. So you may say, that guy's kind of my buddy. I'd like to go out and have a cup of coffee or have a beer with him. Anyway, thank you for watching. Thank you, Wendell Stevens, for your comment. Uh, I am Alan Warren. They call me the RV wingman because I tell you the truth. Even if it's something that you don't want to hear, if it's something I think you need to hear, I'm going to tell you. Be safe, have fun, play nice, and don't leave your good manners at home. I'll see you next time. Watch very many of the YouTubers out there, and you've been watching them for a few years. You have certainly noticed that a lot of them, some of the biggest names in these RV influencers, are no longer full-time RVers. Why is that? 
I mean, if RVing is so great, why are they not full-time yeah. RVers the whole time? The same reason you're not going to stick with the same RV that you buy right out of the gate. We all change. Life changes. Uh, our circumstances change. And you will mature as you RV. Your needs, your desires, your wants, your dreams. And as you're watching these YouTube videos, I want you to, to, to yes, it's easy to get reeled in. You know, they just reel you in with their excitement and look, oh, man, it must be nice to travel to all those places. And we dream of doing that. We ought to do that. Look how beautiful their trailer is or whatever. That's a fantasy. They don't live that life, those YouTubers. They don't. They've got a little 10-minute, 20-minute video, whatever, and man, it's fun, great music, woohoo, everything's good, and it is. But when it's all said and done, most of their life is like yours, is like mine, it's just life. And they're sitting around going, what can we talk about next that we haven't talked about 23 different times? What can we do that's fun? What can we do that's exciting? I understand that. I, I've been in the TV business, radio business for almost four decades. You want people to go, wow, that looks fun. But the reality is that's their life. It ain't your life, and it's not going to be your life. You will mature. The message here is that people that have, if you're watching, you're saying, I would love to sell everything. I'm just sick and tired of all of it, fed up with the whole system. We're going to sell our belongings, sell our home and everything in it, and we're going to buy an RV, and we're going to travel this great country and spend our golden years in an RV. I would caution you from doing that. Before you do it, you can, of course you can do what you want. Be very cautious. There is a, a maturing process as you RV. You know, many people that watch this video are, are in their 70s. Some are in their 80s. And, and you know, as we age, our, our, our health changes, uh, our ability to get up and down those stairs changes, our desire to get out in the crowded campgrounds and drive on the busy highways changes. And that yearning for our nest comes back. For most people, I think it really does. We go, oh, I wonder why we sold our house. But if you sell your house, and now you have no money, no house, no belongings, and all you have is this, it's a tough way to spend your golden years. I suggest it might be a better idea to don't sell everything, even if you want to become a full-time RVer. Maybe downsize. Maybe, you know, a lot of people are getting a garden home getting a condo, a place that's their own nest. So when that RV breaks down, and it will break down eventually, you've got a nest you can go to. If it takes two months for the RV to get fixed, that's okay. But can you imagine if you were living full-time in your motorhome or your fifth wheel or your whatchamacallit, and the dealer says, well, it's going to take three months to fix it and can't get you in until next week. What are you going to do? You have no nest to go to? It's already a tense situation and very frustrating. And the fact that you don't have any kind of a nest, any kind of a real home, home base, makes it that much worse. I want happy campers. I want to see lots and lots of happy campers, not regretful campers. Campers that are going, oh my God, why did we do this? And my fear is, is that a lot of these YouTube channels, you know, these YouTubers are my friends. I mean, I envy them. They get to do a whole lot of things that I, I am never going to be able to do. But I think that a lot of these YouTube channels give the false, not intentionally, but you can't help but make people go, man, I want to do that. I remember when I did a TV fishing show for a long, you know, starting in 1983, 
when I started doing TV fishing shows, I found it was a lot of work. A lot of work. But after a few years and people would see me, I know you're that guy, blah, blah, blah. Man, I want to do what you do. I'm, I'm thinking, no, they don't. They want to catch the fish. They want to do that exciting thing they saw for 30 minutes every week on TV. They don't want to do all that other stuff. That other stuff's called work. And there's a lot of failure in a successful business. A lot. You just got to keep going through it. And so be careful what you watch. Be careful what, about those fantasies. Dream, yes. Yes, dream, aspire to, to become an RVer. But be careful because when you RV, you will change. As time goes on, as you get older, your medical condition is going to change, your family situation may change, a lot of things are going to happen in your life, and you don't want to burn that bridge by selling the house that you lived in for all those years. Let me know what you think. Do you think that too many people are going to regret becoming full-time RVers and selling everything, or do you think that, nah, I think you're uh, out of your gourd again, wingman. Let me know. Post it in the comments below. As always, I love hearing from each and every one of you. I really do. I love my voicemail messages and the emails. I know I can't get back to everybody, but I do the best I can. And from time to time, as you know, I will respond in one of these videos. So all my contact information is below. Thank you so much for watching. I am Alan Warren, the RV Wingman. Be safe, have fun, play nice, and don't leave your good manners at home. I'll see you next time. Greetings, welcome. Today I'm going to be reading a story about Come to the Table. Come to the Table. Karen Noble locked the door to her dream home in High Point, North Carolina for the last time. Before the moving truck pulled away, she gazed at the 17 acres which had been an oasis for her and her family for years. Jim, her husband, was an amazing chef and restaurant who had run numerous successful restaurants. Amen. Who would have imagined that the attack on the Twin Towers in New York City's World Trade Center would take the foundations of the restaurant business? Who could have guessed that people would hunker down at home eating out less? She and Jim had incurred massive debt trying to keep their restaurant in business. Now, in 2004, the Lord had told them to sell their home and land and move into a neighborhood in Charlton, North Carolina. They had been advised to declare bankruptcy, but refused. While their situation looked hopeless, Jim and Karen knew better. Their faith in God had taught them better. In 1994, their two-week-old daughter, Olivia, had been diagnosed with encephalitis. Her situation, doctor said, was hopeless. Karen remembers being in the hospital with Olivia when she started having seizures. Then she coded. The doctors were able to assistate her, but even so, Olivia wouldn't live. They were told it was hopeless. Then someone told them the truth about healing. A different kind of restaurant. Karen turned to look in the back seat and smile at their two young daughters, Margux and Olivia. 
making sure their seatbelts were buckled before driving to their new life in Charleston. Sure, they were millions of dollars in debt, but Jim and Karen no longer believe in hopelessness. Somehow, they would pay it all off. Once she got everything settled in their new house, Karen curled up on the sofa to read Southern Living Magazine. She read about a restaurant in Louisiana that employed at-risk youth. Couldn't they do something similar? When Karen asked what I thought about opening a restaurant that employed at-risk people, I love the idea, Jim says. The word restaurant comes from the French word restaurer, which means to restore. I believe that's why Jesus enjoys sitting around the table with his disciples. It was a form of restoration. We know we wanted to restore the homeless, those in poverty, and people with substance abuse issues. We wanted to do something like the restaurant in Louisiana had done, but there was a major difference. They were funded by the Catholic Church. At that time, we had no support. As KCM partners for years, when we attended the ministry conference, the only other minister we met who was working outside the church was Nancy Alcorn. She had funded Mercy Ministries of America, providing homes for troubled girls in four different locations. We adopted her model, no government assistance and no debt. Soon after that, Carolina's, Carolina Panthers, a professional football team here in Charlotte, asked if we had a project that they could partner with us to accomplish. When we described our plan, they loved it. The industry changed drastically after 9-11, and we lost a lot of money. For a couple of years, just to keep the restaurants in business, we didn't take a salary. I had owned four restaurants, but during that transition, I closed two of them. I had a fine dining restaurant in Charlotte, and in 2006, we opened Rooster's Wood Fire Kitchen. Unlike other businesses, Jim and Karen wanted their new King's Kitchen to be located in Uptown Charlotte. While it was the most expensive real estate, it was also where most of the homeless congregated. In the summer of 2009, Jim founded a restaurant in their target area that was going out of business. They were asking $400,000 for it. In keeping with their decision not to go in debt, Jim asked Karen to pray and get a number from God about how much to offer. The Lord gave her $45,000. Karen told him, That's a low number, Jim said. Don't you want to round it up to $50,000? The number the Lord gave me was $45,000, Karen replied. Jim called the real estate broker, offered them $45,000. Wow, they're going to get mad, the broker told him. Don't you want at least to round it to $50,000? No, that's our offer. As expected, the offer made the owners angry. They refused to consider it. Believe they heard from God. Jim and Karen held their ground and stood in faith. Four months later, in 2009, the owners dropped the price to $200,000. Our offer is still $45,000, Jim said. <laughs> Karen's response, it was refused. The following year, they purchased the restaurant for $45,000. We wanted to get the restaurant up and running for six months before adding the Dissexual Fit program, Jim remembers. In April 2010, we opened the King's Restaurant for lunch. That summer, we added dinner. 
There were two aspects of our training and discipleship program in which each person received on-the-job training, Jim explained. We also close for three hours each day, and during that time, we teach Bible studies and discipleship training. Not everyone they took in met with success in the year program, but three people graduated after their first year. There were people who disappeared after getting their first paycheck, said Jim. Some started the program and then went back to the streets. In 2011, Jim and Karen started Restoring Place Church, which meets in the restaurant. Most of the congregation is people we meet on the streets, says Karen. In one Sunday at service, for example, while a former American Idol contestant led worship, a young woman sat in the front row drinking alcohol. I told one of our ushers to ask her to leave if she was going to drink. She left, guzzling her drink as she went. After a while, I asked the usher to find the woman and tell her she could come back if she didn't drink. She came back and sat on the front row. The scriptures that best describe our ministry is Proverbs 14.4, the Passion Translation. The only clean stable is an empty stable. So if you want the work of an ox and to enjoy an abundant harvest, you'll have a mess or two to clean up. Our ministry is real and raw, and I wouldn't have it any other way, says Jim. Jesus said when we minister to the least of these, it is as though we are ministering to him. I believe he meant that then, and he still means it today. In addition to the King's Kitchen, the Discipleship Program, and Restoring Place Church, Jim and Carrie have also started the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center modeled after the one in Los Angeles. They met the needs of people by providing food, clothing, and free resources to those suffering poverty, addiction, and abuse. They helped find solutions to homelessness, hunger, and joblessness. On Friday nights in Uptown Charlotte, the smell of chili cheese dogs was, was in the air. People from the King's Kitchen and the Dream Center walked the streets giving away 160 chili cheese dogs. As the food draws, the people volunteers introduce them to Jesus, minister to them, and invite them to a Bible study. On Saturday mornings, Dream Center staff and 300 to 400 volunteers a month show up in rough neighborhoods where they adopt a block. This isn't a short-term ministry. They show up on the adopted block every Saturday without fail and do whatever is needed from mowing lawns and making repairs to providing groceries and praying for people. They become friends according to the FBI. The Adopt-A-Block program carries out in different cities across the U.S. is the most effective revitalization program they ever seen. These people become dear to us, Karen explains, when one of them overdoses, when they have no food to feed their children or their slums, Lord licks, kicks them to the curb for being five hours late on the rent. We care deeply. In the past five months, 18 families from the Adopt a Block program have disappeared. Developers buy the properties and they are displaced. We have no idea where they are, but there have been many success stories. Ronnie, for example, is a young man who had a hard life and needed a job when a friend told him about King's Kitchen 
he went through the ministry discipleship program, got his life back on track, and today is still actively involved with ministry. In fact, both Jim and Karen refer to him as the undisputed mayor of the kitchen. Another man, Horace, was homeless when he came to King's Kitchen. He had a lot of issues to deal with, and I took him four years to go through the discipleship program. Today, he owns a cab, a car debt-free, and he has his own apartment, says Karen. There was a woman here in Charlie who ran her prostitution and crack house, and a federal warrant was out for her arrest. A woman who lived down the street from the crack house started praying for her, as did members of nearby church. Eventually, someone got a chance to witness to the woman and told her the glorious truth that her sins had been forgiven, that she had been redeemed from the curse of the law, and that she was free to live under God's blessing. As a result, the woman received Jesus and eventually came to the king's kitchen and attended Bible study five times a week. She later attended and graduated from the Charlotte campus of Cherished Bible College. Today, she's an ordained minister, a powerful woman of God who fills our pulpit when we're out of town, Karen added. Jim and Karen's goal and purpose has always been to tell the people the truth. They were members of a denominational church when doctors told them there was no hope for Olivia. They never been told that by Jesus' stripes she's already been healed. No one had ever mentioned to them the truth about that just as Jesus has redeemed us from sin, he's also bore our sickness. Later, Jim discovered that his grandfather had known the truth. A Pentecostal holiness preacher in 1905 had been sick and was healed. Everyone in his family thought he was crazy, but he has underlined Mark 11, 23, and 24 in his Bible and determined to stand on God's word for his healing. Many years later, someone shared those same verses with Jim and Karen. They had listened and believed God's word as Charles Cap taught the truth and prayed for Olivia, who is alive today at 26 years old. When we learned the truth, we were so hungry for the word of God that we sat in front of the television with duct tape covering the antenna so we could watch the B-O-B broadcast. Every salvation, healing, and deliverance in our ministry was fruit to KCM, and our pastor, Bishop James C. Hash, we're just to be thankful to God that we are partnered with a ministry of integrity that tells us the truth around the world. As they faithfully worked to wipe out the debt and cure it as a result of 9-11, being faithful to tithe and give as they go, Jim and Karen purposed to build their ministry at the same philosophy. Tell the truth, nothing but the truth. The word of the Lord. And that was a story from Believer's Voice of Victory magazine written by the founder by Melanie Henry. Sounds pretty good, don't it? Beautiful story of God.